In this episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Irene Liu, currently the general counsel of Checker. Irene has extensive experience working in government agencies, including the Federal Trade Commission and the U.S. Department of Justice. Perhaps for this reason, she has long advocated for a proactive and collaborative approach to regulation, which is unique. Today, we will hear about why she advises companies and startups in particular to knock on regulators' doors. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Irene. Thank you so much for inviting me here, Amelia. So before we get into your specific role, let's talk about Checker. Can you tell us a little bit about your company's mission and the problem that you're trying to solve for? Sure. So Checker is a startup that started back in 2014. We're a six-year-old company that is um, a background check company, essentially, that's technology-driven. And one of the things that drew me to Checker is its mission. Uh, Since the beginning of the company, we realized early on that background checks can be a barrier to job employment. And so we wanted to create a company and products that help facilitate um, jobs and transparency in the background check process. And so um, with the use of technology, our goal and our mission is to create a fairer future. Essentially what that means is we're trying to build a company and products with the mission to support fair chance hiring, uh, hiring of people uh, with criminal conviction histories. Over a third of Americans have criminal conviction histories and it's a significant part of the population that often are discriminated against in the job market. And so our goal is to facilitate products and tools that will help them understand their background checks, as well as help our customers, who are the employers, understand the background checks as well to ensure that these, uh, this large population is not discriminated against and that they are fairly uh, considered for roles and opportunities. Thank you for that. And um, as you know, I've long admired your um, company because of the disproportionate impact that our criminal justice system has on black and brown communities, something that is at the forefront of our minds today, uh, uh, certainly. And that's something that we will turn to later in the conversation. But before we do that, I'd like to ask about your role. Um, Can you describe your role as general counsel and um, tell us a little bit about how that role intersects with what I'm broadly calling the ESG function? Sure. So um, I'm the general counsel of Checker and my role intersects with ESG in a number of ways because um, part of my role is not only legal and compliance, but one of the influential areas uh, of our role is to support and promote our mission of fair chance hiring. And we do that by reviewing and building products that not only insert compliance, but also fairness and transparency into the products. And so our team, as well as our product counseling team is not only looking at uh, building products and influencing for all of the um, typical legal and compliance reasons, but we also inject a transparency and fairness lens as well as a policy lens to our product, which I think is different for um, most legal teams. Can you tell us a little bit about your background before you joined Checker? Because that's gonna inform um, our conversation about how you approach regulators. I started out my career in the government I uh, entered the government at US, in the U.S. Department of Justice in the Antitrust Division, um, 
right out of law school. And after working there on both criminal and civil matters, I moved to the Federal Trade Commission and the Bureau of Consumer Protection. And so after working in the government, I moved in-house to BlackBerry. And even at BlackBerry, I didn't oversee a typical commercial function. Instead, I oversaw uh, the law enforcement compliance department. And that's where I truly learned the importance of proactive government engagement with government entities. Um, but once obviously BlackBerry started losing traction in the market and once people stopped using Blackberries overall, I realized it was time to move on and I moved to uh, Lookout, which is a mobile security startup before moving to Checker. Uh, I wanted to now move on to your approach to regulators and regulation, which um, you know we've spoken in the past about, and it's very proactive. Uh, you've written about that in your series, Knocking on Government Doors. But before we get into the details, can you explain for us how most companies, um, from your vantage point as GC, tend to approach regulators? Most companies never want to approach regulators. You never want to um, get near government entities uh, proactively, and you typically try to lay low as much as possible. And especially for startups, um, startups typically view themselves as disruptors of traditional industries. And in order to grow fast, they take risks. Their goal is not to knock, but rather really just move quickly and try to ask for forgiveness later. So typical companies and startups do not like approaching regulators and that's standard. So you're advising that companies should do exactly the opposite um, and uh, that applies to startups as well. So why should companies knock on regulators doors? So the reality is that government entities and regulators, they don't like surprises from companies. And as much as companies want to move fast, if your company or product is entering a new industry or disrupting a traditional industry where it's potentially regulated, it is helpful to consider engaging government regulators early and introducing them to your company to help shape the policy and even how they're thinking before um, before policies and laws are drafted. And so oftentimes it is a good idea to um, get ahead and get to um, meet these regulators to facilitate a positive relationship before it turns negative. Um, because oftentimes if a regulator is knocking on your door instead of you knocking in the first place, the relationship likely will start off on a negative footing. So to contextualize this a, a little bit, you've uh, talked in the past about the e-scooter wars and you talk about that in um, your article. Can you tell us what, what the e-scooter wars was? Yeah, so back in 2018, there were a number of scooters that flooded the streets of many cities. And, and if you recall back in the day, the scooters were laying around all over the streets and the cities just did not know what to do with it. They were getting lots of consumer calls and lots of consumer complaints. And so ultimately what they decided to do is basically shut it down. They said only a few um, permitted scooter companies will be able to operate in the city. And so oftentimes what happened is that this, the most blatant violators, uh, violators uh, among the scooter industry often did not get those permits um, because they, first of all, uh, did not first approach the regulators to let them know of all of the different types of scooters and how it'll disrupt the public um, 
transportation as well as the safety on the streets. And so um, the way that regulators view the scooters was that it's a nuisance um, and it's often um, viewed as potentially dangerous because people were tripping all over it. And so there were a number of issues that the cities took with the scooters. And so they wanted to regulate how many scooter companies can actually operate in the city. And so in San Francisco, San Francisco, for example, in 2018, the three scooter companies that they selected back then were the company that did not litter the streets with scooters. Um, and that's just a testament to how important it is to first go at least seek permission or at least let them know about your plans so that you are not banned from a market later on. And what's so fascinating, Amelia, is that today I saw an article about Paris. So Paris just uh, brought, Paris just allowed uh, three e-scooter companies permission to operate in Paris. And as you know, Paris is a huge market. And they allowed um, three operators and Bird is one of them that did not get the permit, whereas Lime did. And so you could see that this whole permit issue is still becoming a very important and relevant issue. And the, the issue of approaching regulators is incredibly important for these scooter companies during COVID as well, when people are likely leveraging uh, scooters as a mode of transportation during this time. And so this is probably an even more important time for these companies to get into the good graces of regulators in large markets where they know that it could make bottom line impact. Okay, so let's assume that we're convinced as, as I am of the value of approaching regulators proactively. Um, where should companies start? What sort of, you know, the first step? Yeah, the first step is really trying to figure out who you need to go to. Um, as you know, every company is subject to regulations like the IRS, uh, SEC, and other types of laws, but those are not the regulators that I'm telling you to go to. If anything, I'm saying the regulator that you should meet is the regular regulator who oversees your core products, the core products that generate your revenue now or in the future. So you need to sit down to think about what the what regulations your key products are subject to and for most products you should be able to point out which regulators potentially impact you um, and then that's how you figure out which doors you should knock for me for example we're in the background check industry we're regulated by both the cfpb and the ftc because we are regulated by the fair credit reporting act and so um, one of the things i did proactively at checker in my first year is meet with the CFPB and FTC. They had never heard of Checker beforehand and it was a good opportunity for a DC regulator to meet us. And so that was one of the ways that I've uh, utilized knocking on, on uh, regulators' doors. If you're in a food industry, for example, you can always um, think about the FDA. If you're in retail, the FTC potentially because there's unfair deceptive practice issues that are related to marketing advertisements and whatnot. So these are some of the ways that you really think about who is regulating your core products to think about who you should go to, to um, meet proactively. Let's go back a little bit to um, your work at the FTC. Um, what, what years did you work at the FTC and in what, in what capacity? Yeah, I was there uh, as a staff attorney from 2008 to 2010. 
And at the FTC, what was your perception of the communication between uh, businesses and the FTC? Was it very uncommon to approach uh, for businesses to approach regulators proactively? It was very uncommon. Uh, the only companies that were approaching us then were the ones that were being investigated and they were not approaching us proactively. It was because they had to, um, often in a meet and confer setting. The even, um, so it's really not a standard practice. So it does set you apart. And even when we were looking at going to the FTC and the CFPB, when I started a checker, I had defense attorneys saying, are you crazy? Why would you do that? Um, but I decided that I think that the benefits of a regulator knowing who we are and understanding our business and all the great things that we're doing, especially towards our mission, was worth the effort and worth also notifying to the government entities of all of the good work that we're doing. So we wanted to showcase it. And I, and I felt that it was a great opportunity to showcase it. So um, tell us a little bit about, you don't have to tell us who which outside counsel was giving this advice, but but tell us a little bit about what their arguments were against approaching regulators proactively. So most defense attorneys come come to meet regulators in um, when they're defending their clients, and so their perception of regulators are that they can be incredibly aggressive and that they can they might investigate you because that's all of the, that's the sole context that they have really seen regulators. So because they have that lens, the idea of a company proactively opening um, the hood on their business to a regulator just sounds appalling. Um, and, and so you, you have to really think carefully. Uh, and I don't say every single person should go into um, and proactively meet with the regulators. If your company and your product is not regulated in any way whatsoever, and you know that your, um, you know that your product is still very new, or if you're very small and you just want to stay under the radar and you don't want to be regulated, then you should not knock on government doors. There is a level of strategy there as well, um, because if you do knock and you're not ready and your product is not compliant and um, you're going to only raise question marks, obviously that will only increase exposure for you. So I would think carefully, uh, but for most businesses, a combination of proactive and interactive approach is really the best because um, while a reactive stance might work sometimes, it only delays um, the need to engage one way or another uh, at some time in the future. So let's talk about your specific um, communications with the FTC and with the um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So you had the initial meetings where you introduced the regulators to your company and to your product. And then tell us what transpired from there. Were there surprises? Were there learnings? Was there collaboration? What's happened since? Yeah, I mean, it's been incredibly helpful in a way. For example, with the CFPB, one of the things that we wanted to feature and highlight to them is the fact that we had a free background check offering for consumers. There's no uh, free background check offered in the internet, and we were one of the first ones that were willing to put our dollars to help consumers understand their background check by getting a free background check on their own through our website, betterfuture.com. And so 
Um, that was something that we were very proud of. And when we first went to the CFPB, we told them that this was in the works. We went back a year later, once it was in place and told them about it. And CFPB published the website into their um, consumer resources page. And so that effort was helpful in highlighting to consumers how um, there is a free background check that's available. And so they really liked what we were doing from a consumer perspective and even highlighted in their resource page. The FTC, for example, um, we met with the FTC twice as well. Um, and after meeting with them, they also are, the DC regulators are interested in understanding what's happening in the Bay Area. There's a lot of cutting edge technology that's happening here and it does help them to understand the new developments that's happening um, in the marketplace. And so um, it does help from a relationship building standpoint, as well as just the regulators understanding our products in general to sit down with them. And what happened from that meeting was we were even invited to speak uh, at an FTC hearing about the use of AI. And so I actually went to speak about AI uh, usage and our perspective on it at an FTC uh, hearing. And so those types of invitations probably would not have happened had we not uh, introduced Checker, what we're doing, how we're leveraging AI and how, um, what we're doing to help consumers. So now I wanted to, uh talk about Checker in the context of today, and in particular in the context of the uh, racial injustice uh, crisis. Um, and your product is unique in that it allows for a granular assessment of a criminal background check. Can you tell us about uh, that level of granularity? And can you tell us about any public policy efforts that you have um, underway or that you're exploring to sort of um, highlight that feature? So we have a number of efforts to try to support fair chance hiring, which ultimately helps from a DNI perspective, from a diversity and inclusion perspective in hiring. Um, one of, there's three efforts that I'll talk about. One is even just checker hiring alone. So one of the things that we're incredibly proud is that we hire fair chance talent. Over 5% um, of our talent is fair chance. And we have about 80% retention rate among the fair chance talent and 44% promotion rate. So not only do we talk the talk, but we walk the walk by um, really leading by example, by hiring fair chance talent and showing and showcasing how they can be promoted, retained and, um, and um, play in a significant role in the company. So that's one, one thing that we definitely do and we continue to place a lot of effort in, in uh, is talent recruitment of fair chance uh, applicants. Secondly, we build products to help, help our customers who are employers understand the background check as well as help them filter out offenses that are not relevant for their positions. So we have a product called Assess and what that product does is it allows the employer to really truly select a series of offenses that they care about and a series of offenses that they do not care about. For example, a DUI really should not matter for a cashier fun function, potentially, um, whereas a DUI will be very important for a driver function. 
And so we really want our employers to think deeply about what are the relevant offenses that matter to the role. And if it does not matter that they can filter those out and they can automatically filter those out using our technology of assess and get a background check that only highlights the roles that they truly care about so that you are not indiscriminately um, eliminating uh, any fair chance talent um, with criminal offenses that um, you later decide is important when ultimately truly probably wasn't important in the first place. Um, so we're building tools like that to help support our mission, as well as to really highlight the importance of diversity and inclusion in companies. Uh, the third effort that we're doing is uh, we have a website called fair.checker.com. And that is uh, where we put our educational resources to be able to help our employer customers understand how to assess a background check in a fair manner. So we uh, really go through the EEOC hiring guidelines. So those are the different types of educational um, opportunities that we provide as well as um, a re-entry simulation so that employers understand how it feels to re-enter society after being incarcerated. I wanted to move on to my last question. I always like to end the ESG beat by giving our guests two parting gifts, a magic wand and a crystal ball. So I'll start with a magic wand. If I gave you a magic wand and you could um, change something about uh, the way that companies approach regulators, what would that be? And actually, I'm going to give you two magic wands uh, because I'm also going to give you a magic wand on policy with respect to fair chance hiring. And uh, what would that look like uh, if you could implement it? I thank you so much for the two magic wands. Uh, I love that I have two. For the first question, um, or the first magic wand, I would say that um, technology founders should really think about and embrace regulations, even if they want to move really quickly, if they are in a highly regulated industry or likely in a highly regulated industry. We have seen this time and time again in uh, various industries where um, founders and companies have wanted to move fast, but it's faced backlash. At the end of the day, if you think about some of the traditional models that we, we uh, look at now, the Airbnbs, the Ubers and the Lyfts, WAG, um, you know, dog sitting, all of these companies back in the day try to move fast and they realized that regulations were coming at them. And so that's why these teams have very large policy teams because they now understand the importance of policy. So in that way, I would highly encourage for um, founders and CEOs um, that as much as they want to move fast, uh, it might be worthwhile to step back, at least for a little bit, to understand what market they're in and if it's highly regulated, to consider and embrace um, approaching the regulators and com complying with those regulations. So with the second wand, there are so many things we can do from a fair chance um, perspective, especially during this time of the pandemic, as well as during this time where everyone's opening their eyes to systemic racism um, against Blacks. And if you look at the criminal justice system, as well as the number of 
um, Americans with criminal records, you can see that a third of Americans have criminal records in their backgrounds, 70 million. That is an incredibly high population. And so, and so I would encourage employers to look beyond um, background checks and all of the criminal offenses that may potentially be there and really think about how those offenses affect the job at hand and really consider that nature time nature test that the EEOC strongly advocates and that by law you should be factoring in. And so that would be something that uh, I think uh, should more companies should focus on uh, in order to create more opportunities during this time. I wish I could give you two magic wands. Thank you. <laughs> and now for the crystal ball. Where do you see us headed? So given the amount of scrutiny that a number of technology companies are facing, uh, including large companies like Facebook, I predict that more companies are going to really focus on policy and compliance and really seeing how their products are impacted by regulations. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And I look forward to seeing whether your crystal ball comes true. Thank you so much, Amelia. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.